Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, February 26th. Amanda Borchel Dan here, joined by our diplomatic correspondent, Laser Behrman, and first time appearance by our new tech Israel editor, Sharon Robel. Hello to you both. Hi. Good morning, Shavuotov. We have a lot to cover from a busy weekend. We'll speak about the tanking shekel and other economic implications of the planned judicial overhaul. We'll hear reflections from a year to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and hopefully a Tel Aviv-based startup called Shopik. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Last night for the eighth week in a row, Israelis took to the streets throughout the country to protest the judicial overhaul. According to organizers, some 300,000 took part in rallies across the country, making the latest demonstrations, if true, the largest ones yet. Despite the high numbers, however, one of the architects of the overhaul, member of Knesset Simcha Rotman, the head of the Knesset's Constitution, Law and Justice Committee, is reportedly planning to bring the so-called override bill which passed a preliminary reading last week for discussion in his committee this morning. To hear more about Rotman's plans, please check out our recent What Matters Now weekend podcast interview with Rotman, where you can hear in his own words what he plans to do. Sharon, let's turn to you. And first of all, welcome. Shavuot to everyone. In the past several weeks, you have extensively covered the financial implications of the overhaul package from high-tech leaders threatening to pull out the companies or the tanking shekel and other dire warnings from economic leaders. But let's start with the shekel. What is it trading at right now? You know, it's been trading around uh, between 364, 366. Um, it's kind of closed around 366 on Friday. So we've seen it weakening against the dollar again on Friday. Um, it had, you know, it had recovered a little bit from, from Tuesday's slide, but, you know, it looks like the direction is, is really more for weakening shekel as investors are getting more and more uncertain about what's happening. And I think mostly the big change last week was really the first reading of the bill um, that passed. I think the market was kind of hoping that, you know, those efforts to, to get to a compromise or to start some kind of dialogue was still there. 
But um, the milestone last week was that first reading that really put investors off um, thinking, okay, this government is really pressing ahead as fast as possible to pass um, the legislation. Um, and that really uh, put a lot of uncertainty in the market. So we've seen, as you said, we've seen um, the Bank of Israel cutting interest rates even a little more aggressive you know, there was split, the forecasts were split between 25 basis points and 50. In the end, it was 50 basis points. Um, and that really showed that, you know, the Bank of Israel is determined to, to bring down inflation, really, which is sort of the prices that we're paying for our goods, which are going up. And, and also they mentioned the shekel. Now, why is a weaker shekel bad for inflation? It's because um, a weaker shekel makes all those things that we import, like cars, appliances, even some of our food products, it makes it more expensive. So it means that our prices are going up again. And the, you know, and, um, the Bank of Israel wants to bring inflation down within their target, which is around one and three percent. But at the moment, we are having inflation that's even above 5%. Sharon, I want to ask you about some comments from the Bank of Israel Governor Amir Yaron, who is said to have warned ministers on Thursday that an economic crisis could break out at any moment. Is all of what you're describing now with the rising inflation, is this the crisis he's talking about or is, is it something even more dire? It is more dire. It all fuels into, into inflation because it what he refers to is that really the investor sentiment in the markets is coming down in terms of the mood that investors want to put their money in Israel. On the one hand, in sort of supporting the the strong high-tech industry, which is the catalyst really for the economy. That's on the one hand. On the other side, there's already a lot of foreign capital in Israel and investors abroad are worried that their money is not as safe anymore in Israel as it was before, because we're not sure about legislation. We're not sure about what's going to happen to taxes. Um, there are a number, there are lots of questions around legislation and that also affects the money. So, uh, investors will always try and diversify their risks. So if in one country the risk is going up, they will say, okay, we don't want to have our money there anymore. We want to diversify it somewhere else. We want to put it somewhere else before it is too late. So already now, even if the legislation hasn't even passed in, in full, the damage to the economy is, is already done or it's starting because of that sentiment, because investors are getting worried, they don't want to be late on this. And they're saying, why should I risk putting my money here if I can put it somewhere else where I know what the legislation is, I know what I can expect. And and that that's the kind of thinking at the moment. Now, what does that mean? Often that they're also selling they're selling the shekel and they're buying dollars, um, which again means that the shekel is weakening. And again, this is a cycle. So once the shekel is weakening, that's fueling again inflation. And so that's, that's the cycle probably that the Bank of Israel is referring to. So it's the macro, the sort of inflation environment, interest rates, prices in Israel, but it's also the economy that's suffering because funds are going out of Israel. And there's also concern that the people will want to move out of Israel. 
And so Israel is much more, the high-tech industry is built much more around brains. Um, it's not necessarily large factories that will have to move out of Israel. It's, you know, people can just take their laptop and go abroad and, you know, and uh, open up R&D centers abroad. So I think this is this is what he's referring to. That's And in addition to that, they're also worried about the rating of Israel, the sovereign rating of Israel. That is the the debt that is rated like when Israel wants to raise money, for example. Um, you know, how cheap or expensive it is, is dependent on the rating it gets. And the Bank of Israel and other uh, even former policymakers have warned that um, the uncertainty that we're seeing and around the legislation at the moment may also affect Israel's credit rating. And that, again, will make everything more expensive for us. Sharon, thank you so much for that update. I really appreciate it. And many more appearances here. So uh, get, <laughs> get prepared. Okay, we'll go to a short break now. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Laser, turning to you, uh, you and I actually marked a year to the Russian invasion on uh, of Ukraine on Friday when we spoke a bit after my What Matters Now interview with former member of Knesset Ksenia Svetlova. But I'd like to hear more from you about some reflections you have on your reporting on the ground over the past year. Where were you actually a year ago this week? Sure. A year ago, I was actually back in Israel because I had come back from my first trip to Ukraine, uh, which mid-February, to kind of get a sense of whether a war was going to break out. And much like Ukrainian officials were saying, I believed it's just not possible. We're not going to have another European land war. Um, you know, in a European capital, that's something of the past. I seem, Things seem just too orderly and too logical in Kyiv um, to have a Russian invasion coming. So I spent a few days there, got the sense of things, and then headed back. Then when I was back, after I wrote that there would be no war, indeed there was. Um, so back I went. When I went back, obviously, um, couldn't fly into Ukraine, had to fly through Poland, take a train into Ukraine, which almost no one was doing. The trains were coming into Poland. Thousands of, of refugees were getting off. They would pack them with humanitarian aid. And then me and a few other people who had their own reasons for going back in, whether it's to join the armed forces to look for relatives. One guy was even looking for his mother-in-law, of all people, um, headed back in. I was pulled off at the border by Ukrainian soldiers and interrogated for a half hour. I didn't know what they were saying, so they eventually let me back on. Um, and then I headed into Lviv, and that was wartime Lviv. 
Again, refugees all over the place, people sleeping on the floors, and that's where I began uh, my reporting. What struck me then was the calm determination of the Ukrainian people, those who are not in the war, to self-organize and do what needed to be done to take care of the country. Um, Whether that was me walking by university one night and looking in and seeing that the students were weaving something, I went in, I thought it was an art project, but they were students weaving camouflage nets for the troops. And this was something that they had organized on Instagram, figured out what they needed, and were spending their night doing it. At the time, it seemed like something somewhat pathetic. You know, what are these little nets going to do against the mighty Russians? But I understood when you have a nation whose best and brightest are willing to pitch in like this to the war effort, uh, that's a real strength beyond tanks and, and guns. Um, we, I went and visited an artist colony, and you know we think of artists as kind of pacifist types, but um, they had turned it into a refugee center, and they were even, I saw people who were building these uh, spikes that could stop tanks. So it was really all hands on deck in a very calm, determined ways that includes the National Art Gallery that had been turned into a volunteer center as well. And I think that was some of the strength um, in the early going that allowed the Ukrainians to stop the Russians and eventually turn the tide. Um, I went back in August, July, August, and it was a very different country then. That was the summer, so things were beautiful. It was the height of kind of Ukrainian movement and pushing back the Russians. Um, and I was able to actually make it to some of the fronts, the southern front in Mykolaiv. I made it to Kharkiv, which was a bombed out city, and then continued on to closer to the Russian lines, get more of a sense of the war over there. Um, and you know, that, that was, I think, uh, kind of the height of optimism for the Ukrainians. Since then, the Russians have taken to bombing cities, bombing critical infrastructure, um, the last time I was there was a couple of weeks ago, and we spoke about this when Foreign Minister Eli Cohen was there. It was a brief trip into Kiev. You know, I feel connected to the place. I miss the place. I, I w- would have liked to stay and do more, and hopefully, I'll be able to get back. Um, but it seems like you know the, the fighting is heating up again. The Russians are prepared, have probably even started their offensive. And when the Ukrainians get enough new weaponry from the West and absorb this Russian atten- uh, offensive, they'll probably counterattack in the spring. So there's plenty to write about, unfortunately, and and hopefully I'll be able to go back there and continue to bring stories. And I'll just say that on our site now, there's kind of a photo essay, personal reflections I have, which should give readers kind of a sense of of what I've been talking about and what I saw there. I will put a link in our program notes, of course. Now, moving a little closer to our home, at least, today Jordan is hosting a political security meeting between Israel and the Palestinians to try and restore or at least make some kind of calm in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. The meeting is in a Red Sea resort in Aqaba and will be attended also by the United States and Egyptian representatives. What did you actually expect to come out of this meeting? if anything at all. Sure, I think there's an interest on all sides, including the Palestinian side, to see things calm down. Don't forget we're uh, less than a month ahead of Ramadan, which is in recent years has been a time when tensions escalate and even uh, break out into almost war and, and some significant violence. There has been a steady escalation in the northern West Bank since that Gilboa prison break a couple of years ago, if you remember, and the PA security forces have lost uh, the ability to go into some areas, the refugee camp in Janine, one of them, and Nablus is the other other uh, center, the other locus of violence there. I think the Palestinian Authority doesn't want Israeli forces going into these cities and getting people angry and being per- the Palestinian Authority and Abbas being portrayed as weak and feckless. 
certainly Jordan doesn't need this and Egypt doesn't need this and certainly the United States doesn't either. So I think everyone has an interest here. It's important to get together and figure out how what can be done. Um, I imagine the Palestinians are going to demand that Israel stop these, these raids, but in order to stop them, the Palestinian Authority is going to need to um, handle these groups by itself. Um, they might demand more training, more capabilities. Um, it's 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 a pretty delicate walk that everyone has to do here. The Palestinians don't want to be seen as collaborators, as doing Israel's bidding. Um, but they certainly know that that uh, it's not in their interest to have attacks coming out of the cities. Palestinian businessmen, especially in the northern West Bank, don't want this either. So interests are coming together and, and there's a nervousness around the potential for escalation. And this is an attempt to get ahead of it on the Israeli side. National Security Advisor Sachi Negbi, Shinbet, Chief Ronan Bar are, are going to be representing the Israeli side. Um, like you said, it's an Aqaba, it's right next door, so they can easily make it there for the meeting, come back to Israel and get to work. Okay, and we'll have reports on that later on on the site, definitely. Now, I understand you also have a tiny bit of news for us regarding Papua New Guinea. Yes, Papua New Guinea, a Pacific island nation which does not have an embassy in Israel. Um, there was a, a meeting that Foreign Minister Eli Cohen had with officials there, and they said, according to the Israelis, that they would be opening their embassy um, in the future, in the not-too-distant future, in uh, Jerusalem. Now, this comes as there's been rumors about other Pacific nations uh, moving their embassies to Jerusalem. Hopefully, I'll be able to report on that as well. From the Pacific nations, right? Ideally. Ideally, I will. Um, yeah, but there is some movement here. Uh, let's not forget that there are some nations there that are powerful and hostile to Israel, like Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, which probably are not going to be thrilled about this. Um, Indonesia and Papua New Guinea have a, a running border conflict. So uh, there certainly is a price to be paid, and it'll be interesting what they will want in return. Okay, Laser, thank you for that. Finally, just to take us out, you know, I was in the supermarket on Friday, like every week and waiting online and just thinking, Ugh, there has to be a better way that this is just taking forever. Everything's getting spoiled. Tell us, is there a better way? So we uh, reported uh, recently about uh, an Israeli startup that developed a clip on device. It looks like a little iPad. You just clip it onto your cart and off you go. You put stuff into your cart and it just recognizes it. You don't need to scan it in. Um, now, the, I think, you know, the whole there's a whole trend of having technology that's without a cashier, right? Um, but most of the technologies that we've seen out there, most of the supermarkets would have to uh, install the infrastructure, so it's also more costly and it also is, for example, Amazon has that Amazon Go, but it's really only for their shops. Um, while also other technologies are similar, they you have to sort of build the infrastructure, whereas this one is really um, versatile. It basically works in any on any uh, standard card. Um, so you can you can just put all your shopping into your card. And it just recognizes it immediately. It shows you some also price comparisons. Um, it can be uh, thrown in simultaneously. You take your kids, you put some stuff in, they put some stuff in. And the computer vision, it's an algorithm, recognizes it. And then also you can pay immediately. So you can basically shop online while you're in the supermarket. 
Brilliant. Wow. Thanks. I can't wait to try it. <laughs> thanks so much, Sharon, for joining us for your very first time. And Laser, as ever, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.